Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is March 26, 2021, uh, and I am two minutes late. Uh, computer gremlins are bound to get us sooner or later, and I guess, uh, well, hopefully I caught my gremlin for the evening. Uh, I thank you for joining me. I hope you're all doing well in this uh, truly unparalleled, crazy era in which we find ourselves. I, I feel almost as though we're, we ought to be having Rod Serling on the program with me. I know he's somewhere puffing away on that cigarette of his, uh, but goodness gracious. Uh, it just keeps getting wackier and wackier, uh, but today I'm happy to tell you I got my second and final COVID vaccine. Um, hopefully it will help to keep me safe, and hopefully the people who are taking it will be kept safe and well. But, gosh, we've never been in a situation quite like this. And I watched Joe Biden uh, and what passed for a news conference yesterday. Um, and, and I find it remarkable. You know, the mainstream media is supposed to speak truth to power. They are supposed to be the voice of the people. The founding fathers understood the necessity for a, a, a free press, the First Amendment, freedom of press. And the whole idea is that you ought to be able to say and write pretty much anything unless, uh, you know, you're calling for for death and violence and that sort of thing. Certainly, you don't cry fire in a crowded theater to use the often quoted idea. But this notion of censorship, uh, Alan Dershowitz, one of my favorite people, I don't always agree with, uh, with Professor Dershowitz, but certainly brilliant constitutional lawyer, uh, gets it right. Um, if you don't have freedom of speech, you don't have freedom of thought. If you don't have freedom of thought, you're not living in a democracy. Um, and I know there are going to be some people jumping up and down saying it's not a democracy, it's a republic. Well, let me tell you, what I mean by democracy is the government controlled by the people, period. We can have different forms of democratic governments. Ours is a democratic republic, most certainly. point is, that's not what we're getting. Ever since this election, which certainly uh, was controversial in so many ways, you would have thought you would have thought that Biden and Harris would have had a conciliatory tone. You would have thought that Pelosi and Schumer and all the rest would have said, you know, this certainly isn't a mandate. It certainly is not a mandate. Then it's remarkable that when Pelosi heard um, Donald Trump challenge the outcome of the election. He was undermining democracy, but now the Democrats are doing just that in a Republican congressional race. The level of hypocrisy that we're seeing from the left is off the charts. And again, full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat. I've been a registered Democrat since I first voted, but I can't tell you of the last time I voted for a Democrat because these are not Democrats. These are totalitarians. They are fascists. Uh, in my judgment, they don't want anything that even looks like freedom. 
They want to rule and rule with an iron fist, and we've been saying this across the country. They suddenly have decided that power, their power, is more important than the survival of our great republic. I, I mean, we've never been in a situation like this before. Um, shutting down the police, we're going to defund the police, and now they, there's going to be a law that apparently is going to be signed in here in New York where anybody can sue police officers. They're no longer protected. I have to tell you, if I was back out there doing my job and I was told that anybody could sue me personally at any time, I guarantee you I would stop making arrests. Big cases, big problems, little cases, little problems, no cases, no problems. So on the one hand, the usual drumbeat, let's get the guns. And who's going to do that? The cops. And what are you doing to the cops? Defunding the police. And can you really pass a law that makes guns disappear? I'm going to tell you right off the top. If you could make a law that would really work, that would get all the guns out of the hands of all the bad guys, sign me up. But you know that doesn't happen. The laws of physics are immutable. The speed limit that is established by nature, where the speed of light in a vacuum, for example, is, is concerned, you can't mess with it. It is what it is because, okay, it's immutable. Uh, speed laws on our highways, you know, take a drive on the Bell Parkway or the FDR Drive here in New York. There's no cops out. I mean, none. And you have people going 90 miles an hour in a 40-mile zone in the right lane. And the only time you do see the cops is after there's a crash. And I've seen a couple of doozies just today cruising around town. <clears throat> and now, by the way, because we're going to more and more electric vehicles and more fuel-efficient vehicles. There's now talk, according to one radio program, that politicians are looking at the idea of charging you by the mile. You get behind the wheel, and the car would record how many miles you drove, and you would then get a bill telling you what you owed your municipality because uh, you drove on the highway. And if you're using an electric car, you're not paying any gas tax, so they're going to make up for it. I, I, the level of tyranny that we're witnessing, the craziness that we're witnessing, turning everything on its ear. And Joe Biden did a news conference yesterday. He called on, I believe it was 10 reporters who were pre-selected. Just like Donald Trump, right? The, the freewheeling news conferences that went on for hours where he would take all comers, especially the reporters who disagreed with him. And I don't have a love affair with Donald Trump. I didn't agree with everything he did or everything he said. But I don't think we ever had a more accessible president who would be willing to stand there and go toe-to-toe with reporters, and he knew that they hated his guts, and he stood up to them like a real man. That's what men do. I know, toxic masculinity. I keep thinking of toxic masculinity and, and people like General George Patton, General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. I think about the astronauts and the test pilots, real men. And, and today, of course, we're being told that's toxic masculinity. Our society is being turned upside down and inside out. Our enemies are laughing. They're rolling around on the ground and they're slap happy, and for good reason. This country can't continue down this path. Americans need to be united, not at each other's throat. This whole business that we're going to judge people by the color of their skin violates the Constitution. It violates what this country was based on. It violates 
uh, in, in point of fact, what Martin Luther King had said. You judge people by who they are as people, not by what their skin color is. So we have this divisive country where everyone is tearing each other down. Instead of saying, look, let's all work hard so we can all be successful, we'll get a scapegoat people who are successful and, and tell blacks, for example, well, there's a reason you're not successful because you don't have white privilege, perhaps. That's not what gets a country to achieve the incredible successes that America has achieved. And, and I'd love to put America's background up against any other country in history. Do we have issues? Sure. Could we do things better? You're damn right we could. You want police reform? Let me tell you what really would constitute police reform. First of all, this is the only time, police reform, where you see Democrats not throwing money at a problem. Think about that. We don't like the police. We're going to defund them. Instead of saying, gee whiz, maybe we need to invest money in more equipment and in, in non-lethal means of subduing people, maybe paying more money in salaries and benefits so we attract more highly qualified people. Think about that. Um, the idea now we're going to defund the police. The police are the enemy. The men and women of law enforcement go in harm's way to protect our communities, to preserve the peace, preserve people's lives and people's property, and they've now become the villains. From heroes to zeros overnight. Think about what the politicians have done with law enforcement. And then they turn around, they, the, the lunatic left, they want to get guns off the street. You need police officers to enforce the laws. They want to make police reform happen, so they want to send unarmed uh, people, I don't know, social workers, I don't know who they want to send out to do car stops and deal with what are potentially violent situations. That's not going to go well, I can tell you. You really want to reform the police? Let me give you a couple of quick thoughts, and then I want to get to two articles. I'm happy that I have an article this week in both uh, the conservative uh, American and also in uh, on Front Page magazine. I've been writing the Front Page for many, many years. Very proud of my relationship with Front Page. I'm happy to be writing as well now for the American conservative. But, but my goodness gracious, you want real police reform? Let's look at the way that the leadership of towns and cities and states and the feds direct the law enforcement personnel through the evaluations they get every year. Whatever work you do, you probably get an evaluation unless it's your company or your business. So when you look at your evaluation, the evaluation tells you what's expected of you. And if you start to tell law enforcement that they need to make arrests to be considered effective, then you are pressuring law enforcement officials to engage in activities that will ultimately result in an arrest which may not be in the best interest of preserving the peace or developing a relationship with the community. That's not a good thing to be doing. And we had that problem on my job at immigration. When I went to Senator Aldamato back around 80 or 81 to convince him to change the reentry law to make unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year felony, because up until then there was no distinction made. And most of the guys I worked with looked at me and they said, you're nuts. We don't write the law, Mike. We don't, we don't have any part of that. We, we just enforce the laws that are on the books. Said, well, maybe we need to go out there 
and, and reach out to our elected representatives and get the law changed. Because it's stupid that an alien who gets deported and comes back is probably not going to be prosecuted because the maximum that such an alien faced in terms of a jail sentence was two years in jail. And the prosecutors are going to look at that and say, why bother? Now, I believe that two years in jail for a guy who works on a farm or in a factory who gets deported and comes back, two years is fine. But if we're talking about a rapist or a child molester or a bank robber or an arsonist or a murderer, and you deport somebody like that, an aggravated felon, in other words, then the law needs to make a distinction, and we need to drop a, the book on this guy, right? Because you don't want him to come back. So I suggested to DeMotto that this ought to be a 20-year maximum penalty, not two years when we're dealing with aggravated felons. I also suggested that he should go to the uh, White House. Reagan was the president at the time and convinced the president to start holding deportation hearings in the jails. And we got both. The change in, in, in the law making max, uh, the penalty a max of 20 years in jail for criminal aliens led to record numbers of people being prosecuted for unlawful reentry under the Trump administration. That was the most frequently prosecuted felony. Because now it was meaningful. You could put together a case of unlawful reentry in a day or two. That's all it takes. You get the executed warrant of deportation, proving the guy was deported. You get a fingerprint analysis to show that his fingerprint on the warrant matches the fingerprint of the person you have in custody. And then you check the database at immigration to show that he or she did not apply for nor receive permission to come back to the United States legally. Those are the three elements that you need. You go to a grand jury, you indict the person, you arrest them, and you prosecute them. And there's no defense. What are you going to say? I'm not here? Maybe I'm not all here, but certainly you can't say I'm not here. And, and it was very effective, and it's a great deterrent. And I also said to D'Amato, and it was great working with Al D'Amato, by the way, um, we worked on this over a, a period of about a year, and I convinced over 30 of my colleagues to meet with the senator's staff over that period of about a year. And I, I have to give credit where it's due, because unbeknownst to me, and he didn't know what I was doing, Walter Connery, who had been the head of investigations for the New York office of the INS, had also approached Al D'Amato about the very same issue, making reentry by criminals a 20-year maximum felony. And, and Walt had quite a bit of horsepower. He'd been the deputy inspector for internal affairs for the New York City Police Department. He was involved with the Knapp Commission, which was the outgrowth of Serpico and, and corruption within the ranks. He then came to immigration as the head of internal affairs when he retired from the New York City Police Department, and he was an attorney. And he became a mentor to me, and, and, and Walt was a really great guy. Uh, I, I loved working for him. He passed away a couple years ago. I very much miss our conversations. But I'll never forget the day he was walking across the street from McDonald's with his lunch in hand. He asked me what I was up to, and I told him about the work I was doing with Aldamato. And he just stopped and looked at me. He said to me, come up to my office. Let's, let's go upstairs. So we went into his office. He closed the door, and he told me how he had gone to the senator with the same thought. And he went to D'Amato, I'm going to guess about three to six months after I initiated this. So we had fired Al D'Amato up, our senator. They used to call him Senator Pothole because he really listened to the constituents. He was a real good guy, a character. I'll never forget it. He always used to call me Mikey, which was kind of funny. But he really listened. And so we had kind of primed the pump, and along comes Walter Connery, 
<clears throat> with his legislative initiative, and we actually got the law passed. And, and I wanted to make certain to give proper credit to the late and great Walter Connery. And, and so I also suggested something else to D'Amato. I said, you know, there is a mentality that if you make an arrest, each arrest is equal. So if for argument's sake, one of my colleagues raided a sweatshop and arrested two women, and each of them had brought four children to the United States, and they were here illegally, you would process the mothers, and you would also process the children, even if they were two, three, five. You would create a file, and it would count as an arrest. So in one afternoon, one of my buddies could effectively take credit for 10 arrests, 10 arrests, two women, and, and eight minor children, four children for each of the two women. And on the other hand, if I might have spent uh, the better part of the month looking for an illegal alien who had shot a police officer, and I arrested, let's say, one other alien somehow along the way, I would get credit for two arrests. On paper, the guy that arrested the women in the sweatshop did five times more work than I did. Stop and think about that kind of lunacy. Wow, Joe has 10 arrests in one day, and Mike Cutler only had two arrests all month. Yes, and, and both guys had rap sheets that you could wallpaper your house with and was also the prime suspect in, in, in the shooting of a New York City police officer. Who do you want off the street more badly? The women in the sweatshop or the guy that's shooting at police officers and robbing banks and so forth? And I said to Al D'Amato, we need to get away from this nonsense that a scratch is a scratch, a scratch being an arrest. We need to approach things differently. And this is why when I hear this nonsense, well, who was the more effective president? Who had more immigration arrests? The arrests don't mean anything. It's just a paper chase. The bureaucracy demands statistics. Governments live and die by statistics. It's a numbers game, as I was told almost from day one when I was hired on, and the old-timers came up to me, and they said, be careful, don't forget this is a numbers game. Wow. And many police departments do the same thing. If you don't have enough arrests, you're not going to get promoted. You need to show arrests, because that shows you're productive. So that right away puts the police officer at odds with the community that he or she is policing. Is this really the way we ought to be doing it? because the evaluations provide the marching orders that determine how that police officer or that federal agent does the job. We need to reevaluate how we evaluate the law enforcement folks. But you're not hearing this in the news. You're not. The focus is always cop shoots unarmed and what's the guy's color and what's the, you know, and, and that's what we're looking at. Look at the broader issues. And it's the politicians, by the way, who are responsible for setting the tone, deciding whether or not you show productivity by making arrests or is there some other way of showing productivity. Certainly you have to make law enforcement accountable. But how do we evaluate how effective a police officer is? Purely on the number of arrests? Or is there a different metric? Maybe you could look at the way crime goes down in a particular sector if police officers patrol that particular sector routinely. That's where they normally are. How are, they, how are the numbers looking 
in terms of crime. I, I don't know. You know, let's kick it around. Let's have some meaningful conversations. Let's bring in some criminologists, and, and, and let's look at things from a holistic perspective. Not simply saying, we're going to let people sue the cops because the cops are the problem. Cops aren't the problem. I mean, some cops are, just like some doctors are. But we really need to look at the marching orders that we give law enforcement. We need to give law enforcement officers the ability to retire early also. Some of these guys are burnouts. Some of these guys have been through so much shootings and violence that they're suffering post-traumatic stress. Maybe the good thing to do is to say after five years, we'll give you a reduced pension, just like you go into the military. You do five-year hitch, and you could say, okay, uh, I serve my country. Now I'm going to be a librarian. I'm going to be an English teacher. I'm going to open up a woodworking shop. You know, whatever it is that that floats your boat so that people don't feel trapped. You know, for all the talk, oh, civil servants, you can't fire them. Well, you can. And and in reality, because they're civil servants with a pension, the job has a stranglehold on them. You don't want to leave before you can get your pension because you've invested all these years out there putting your life on the line maybe getting banged up a bunch of times, but you don't want to leave because you don't want to leave the pension behind. And you don't want to make it look like you're a quitter because, boy, oh, boy, most people in law enforcement are alpha dogs and nobody wants to be perceived as a quitter. So maybe we ought to give people an easy out. Maybe we ought to look at training. Maybe we ought to look at a whole bunch of things that we should be doing and could be doing better that would be better for the officers and better for the communities that they police. But I promise you, you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. You'll have some yo-yo talking heads talking about, I did a ride-along with the cops, so I know what it's like. No, you don't. Unless you had a badge and unless you've chased people and made arrests and executed warrants and took guns off of crazy people, you don't know what law enforcement is about. That's like me watching a movie about neurosurgery and saying, yeah, I know what it's like to be a surgeon. I saw a couple of movies. Baloney. Baloney. And by the way, just as a thought, one of the tactics of the adversaries of America today, and that's really how I see them, it's an adversarial relationship. America is a terrible country because it started with slavery. You know, we've evolved. And sometimes when I've debated people from all the usual suspects, you know, the ACLU and and LULAC and Medcha and all these other uh, uh, organizations, it, it's truly remarkable that they'll talk about how the immigration laws used to be racist. They were Chinese exclusion provisions. Well, there were, and it was wrong. It was absolutely wrong, but that ended almost 100 years ago. So why is that relevant today? This is the equivalent. I, I was thinking about an analogy for my program today. If you ever saw the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, psychiatrists used to perform prefrontal lobotomies. They would basically stick an ice pick into the front of the person's brain and render them a vegetable. So do they do that today? No. Was it barbaric and outrageous? Absolutely. So... Should we be suing psychiatrists today because their predecessors engaged in the barbaric practice of prefrontal lobotomies? That's ridiculous. But that's what they're doing. They who want to 
tell the world how terrible America is, so we become self-hating Americans. Psychiatrists no longer do prefrontal lobotomies, and we no longer have Chinese exclusion provisions in our laws. We got rid of a whole bunch of other provisions that were wrong-headed. That's how progress works. You constantly evaluate how you're doing things and then say there's got to be a better way. That's why science is always expanding. When they say follow the science, science keeps changing. There's theories about uh, the Big Bang. It's not a Big Bang fact. It's a Big Bang theory. Scientists have theories. The facts seem to support the theories, but they continue to do experiments and do research for what purpose? To see if their theories continue to hold up as the ability of science gets better with technology that increases. So when people say follow the science, science is not, you know, this boulder that just sits there. Science is a collective effort to get to the truth, and science and what we believe to be the truth evolved over time, just as America has evolved over time. And we need to grow enough spine to stand up to the people that tell you how bad America is and say, really? Do we still engage in those practices? Do psychiatrists still engage in prefrontal lobotomies? You see? I think those analogies might be helpful. Anyway, forgive me for venting, speaking about psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, I guess this is better than lying down on a couch somewhere. But yes, what's going on, frankly, is making me crazy, and it's making a lot of my friends and neighbors crazy. Because when you look at each other and we talk about what's going on, we just shake our heads and say, can you believe what's happening? Can you believe what's happening? We need to push back through facts through discussion. You know, Kennedy said, we must never fear to negotiate, but we must never negotiate out of fear. That's how I see the ability that Americans must maintain to have open and honest discussions. Don't let people shut us up, because if that happens, it's over. It's over. And our adversaries are just waiting in the wings, chomping at the bit, waiting for us to self-destruct. Let's not let that happen. I, I want to get to, to what I've written. First of all, um, American Conservative published my article. Let me pull this up. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, bear with me. Okay. My, my article, my most recent article for the American Conservative is Biden amps up the immigration delivery system. The refusal to declare a border crisis is more than a matter of semantics. And this is something I've spoken about on this program before, but I think it's worth considering. Everyone has been told for decades the immigration system is broken. Right? I'm sure you've heard it. The immigration system is broken. And how do we know it's broken? Well, we've got millions of illegal aliens who are here. If the system worked, they wouldn't be here illegally. So... Is the solution to give them all green cards so they're no longer illegal? <clears throat> or is the solution to make certain that people <clears throat> who are here illegally don't come so that we find them and we arrest them to deter that kind of dangerous activity? Well, let me use an analogy. <clears throat> Pardon me. We know that drunk driving is dangerous. Uh, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers was formed because children were being killed by drunk drivers. Horrible. 
horror, horror, horror story, right? Terrible. And I remember one night watching Johnny Carson and John Wayne came on, and John Wayne was the quintessential macho guy. And Johnny asked me if he'd been to some party. He says, you know, Johnny, I got to that party, and then when I was going home, I got into an elevator. I couldn't even figure out what buttons to push. And the next thing I knew, I was in my driveway, and boy, oh, boy, God must have been my co-pilot. Everyone laughed. <clears throat> Today we don't laugh at drunk drivers. I was almost killed by a drunk driver. I ran into the morning after my first solo flight. I went out on a date. I was a single guy back then. I was in my early 20s. I was waiting at a red light opposite a drive-in theater. And this drunk, doing about 70, plowed into the back of my car. My car buckled, and he demolished my car with me in it. My car got thrown about 150 feet. <clears throat> when I got out of my car, I thought I was on fire because his radiator burst. There was steam everywhere. I was wondering if it was smoke at first. I was dazed. I was leaning forward, adjusting the radio, waiting at a red light when this guy flew into me. And his speedometer stuck at just over 70 miles an hour. That is one hell of a crash. And he was as drunk as a skunk. And the cops didn't want to stop because back then people didn't think drunk driving was a big deal. This was back in the 70s. Not a big deal. We're in a whole different world today, and I'm glad about that. Drunk drivers are dangerous. Drunk drivers are dangerous. But if the uh, powers that be had dealt with drunk driving the way that we're dealing with immigration, instead of making blood alcohol go from 0.1 to 0.08, which is what most states and cities have done, imagine if they had raised it to 3.0. You could not remain conscious under 3.0. So think about it. You say, okay, in order to be legally drunk, <clears throat> your blood alcohol has to hit 3.0. And who could drive if they're unconscious? So you wait about six months and you hold a news conference, kind of like Cuomo, right? There's a guy. So you hold a news conference and you say, you know what? Since we've made drunk driving, you have to be at 3.0 to be legally drunk. We have not had a single fatality on the highways attributable to a drunk driver. Think about that. Now it's 3.0. You, 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 you blow into the breathalyzer a 1.0. You're not even close to being drunk. Nothing to fear here, folks. Nothing to see. This guy's not drunk. He just had a couple. Right? So now, legally, you have to be 3.0 to be drunk. No one is 3.0. We have 100% success. Does it make any sense? Of course not. It's outrageous. It's ridiculous. But that's what we're doing. We're going to end illegal immigration by legalizing everybody. I once suggested, jokingly, maybe I shouldn't say it, because Biden and Harris will probably join with Pelosi and Schumer, and some Republicans too, by the way, and say, okay, let's do it. Because I said, why don't we just declare anybody born on the planet Earth to be an American citizen? We're almost there. We're almost there. Kids are running the border, and Biden had the temerity to say, you think they're coming because I'm being a nice guy? That's not being a nice guy, because look at the damage it does to America. We can't bring the world's poor here. And what he has done, and what other politicians have done, both parties, is to entice millions of people to come to America illegally. And by the way, for the record, because I, I look at the comments sometimes in my articles, and it's, it's frustrating. Well, it's only about Latinos. There's something wrong with this guy. No, it's not about Latinos. 
I spent years where I investigated and arrested aliens who came from Israel. And I'm Jewish, by the way. I don't think I'm an anti-Semite. I was a B'nai president back in college. But I worked closely with the Israeli National Police. I sent a bunch of uh, their fugitives who came to America back home to stand trial, including one guy who had committed murder. He killed a Palestinian prostitute. He was found guilty and sentenced to a lengthy jail sentence. I arrested him. I, I got a, an award from the government of Japan for helping them with a drug case involving one of their citizens. I worked with New Scotland Yard and British Customs and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I've arrested people from Asia and Africa and Europe and the Caribbean. The only distinction we make is whether or not the person's an alien or a citizen. Simple as that. But, of course, the usual breastfeeding, oh, this is about Latinos. No, it's not. Human nature is human nature in every race, every ethnicity, every nationality. However you want to slice us and dice us, every group of human beings has the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we know from the 9-11 Commission that immigration was the key vulnerability, not just for the 9-11 attacks, but for multiple terror attacks that the 9-11 Commission examined, that invariably foreign terrorists violate multiple sections of the immigration laws. They commit visa fraud. They might stow away on ships. They enter without inspection. They get deported and come back. Uh, illegal alien in, in possession of a firearm or ammunition, another immigration law violation. So understand what we're talking about. You create anarchy, you're taking down our borders, you're taking down our ability to defend ourselves. Back in the Wild West, when the settlers who were going west were under attack, they would circle the wagons. Now, why would they circle the wagons? It's simple, to create a secure and defensible perimeter. We already have a perimeter. It's called America's borders. When you take down our borders, when you allow people to flow across our borders and then let them disappear into the interior of the United States, basically you're doing the bidding of the cartels, criminals, and even folks, even the uh, terrorists. This is something that was very clear to everybody, that immigration laws were the first set of laws that the terrorists violated. Think about that. And Joe Biden says we're going to land about a million. Come on, man. Well, we've talked about it before, but it's worth repeating. He wants to legalize 11 million illegal aliens. These are people who snuck across the border, and that's the number that he's using. Yale University, a couple of years ago, estimated that there's more than double that. They're saying there's 22.1, and this is back in 2018. How many more have flowed into this country uh, since then? And I think their numbers are off in any event. So let's say for argument's sake we're looking at 25 million. It might be more. Because you could have people entering the United States, and even though uh, Biden's proposal for legislation would be that they have to have entered prior, uh, or uh, they could not be here um, after January 1st. In other words, they, they had to have entered the United States prior to January 1st of this year, or January 20th, whatever date he wants to establish. Reagan did the same thing. So this way people don't come here today and, and they're going to say, I want to apply. Well, guess what? How do you prove how long an illegal alien has been living in the United States if they ran the border in order to get here? And the answer is there's no way to know because they can buy fake documents. 
what we saw in the Reagan amnesty way back in 1986, the Immigration Reform and Control Act, was we created a cottage industry for desktop publishing. People were cranking out utility bills and all kinds of rent receipts that looked authentic, and they were bogus. And if you don't have the time and you don't have the agents to go out there and actually conduct a field investigation, how in the world will you know whether or not these claims are truthful or not? And you know what the answer is? You can't tell. You can't tell. And the 9-11 Commission was crystal clear about border security. The 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel began with the sentence, it is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. You'd think that's common sense, wouldn't you? Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. What genius in a position of leadership or authority in a government talks about terrorism and doesn't look at the border and say, you know, that's a problem if they can get across the border. <laughs> I mean, you've got to really wonder who's running the show. And then if you – let me just finish this, the rest of this. Because they also talk about visas. Again, a critical issue. On 9-11, we had 26 countries that participated in the visa waiver program that was created by Ronald Reagan. Never should have happened. But he was placating the Chamber of Commerce. I called him the Chamber of Horrors. You would think after 9-11, because the 9-11 Commission went on to say, no, US, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool of the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discussed in the following pages, it must be made one. Well, you would have thought, hey, visas are a problem. The visa waiver program means you can enter without a visa. We've got to stop it. Well, we had 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. Donald Trump made Poland number 39. Most were made by Obama and, and George W. Bush. And George W. Bush put DHS together in a way that John Hostetler, the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee back then, and I was at that hearing, I testified at the hearing, said that the way that the administration put DHS together gave us immigration incoherence and actually violated the Homeland Security Act, which was the enabling legislation for the creation of DHS. Stop and think about the enormity of what I just said to you. And CBP, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, was not supposed to be separate from Customs and Border Protection. They were supposed to be under the same roof. So why did he do it? And why did he put people in charge who had no immigration background? And why did he add to ICE, you know, immigration, customs, which has nothing to do with immigration? Customs is all about money and goods and, and, and that sort of thing, and immigration is about people. And then he added to that at the ports of entry, agriculture. And he added the TSA to ICE, and he added Secret Service to ICE. Why? Well, I would suggest that he did it to make certain that immigration couldn't do its job. He sent Border Patrol agents to BORTAC teams, the elite of the Border Patrol, to secure the Iraqi border and left our border wide open and even had Ramos and Kumpi on two Border Patrol agents prosecuted for doing their job on the border. Think about it. It's both parties. Reagan gave us the amnesty. Reagan gave us the visa waiver program. 
Reagan, and it was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush, gave us the diversity visa, the visa lottery. I know so many conservatives say, why do we need a visa lottery? Well, I don't know. They're both dead now, but you could have asked Ronald Reagan and, and Herbert Walker Bush because they're the ones who created the visa lottery. This isn't a left-right issue. I'm sick of people saying, oh, it's the Democrats. Oh, it's the Republicans. No, it's the Republicans. Because there are people who look at that flood of humanity coming across the border, and they don't see it as a failure. They see it as a great success. That's why Biden won't call this a crisis. Read my article. Go to the American conservative and read the article. Go to front page. Because what I also said is as heart-wrenching as those unaccompanied minors are, they're a distraction. They're a distraction. Because while everyone's trying to get pictures, and by the way, if you look at those photographs, my gosh, if you put livestock in pens like they're holding these children, uh, probably Peter, whatever they call themselves, will come for you. These are children in cages, chain-linked fences, children. Well, how much do we hear about this garbage with Trump? And, by the way, Biden is saying this is Trump's fault. The T-shirts the aliens are wearing says, Biden, please let us in. It doesn't say Trump, please let us in, because they know that Biden is clear about it. He does not want to enforce the immigration laws. They want to defund the Border Patrol and ICE. The Democrat lunatics want to end ICE altogether. And, meanwhile, interior enforcement was an issue for the 9-11 Commission saying that it was a lack of interior enforcement that enabled the terrorists to do what they did to us. You would think that would mean ramp up interior enforcement, but of course they're not going to do that because then you go after crooked lawyers, you're going to go after crooked companies. You might lock up the human traffickers. Do you really think they want an end to human trafficking? I don't care what they say to you. They lie through their teeth. They're politicians. Okay? If they're a politician, they're lying. 90% 90% of the time. I, I, my television, by the way, is a lie detector. I turn it on. If I see a politician talking, with a few exceptions, there are a few. But for the most part, if there's a politician running his or her mouth, it's lies. It's lies. And we're stupid enough to vote for these people. Blumenthal claimed to be in the military, and he wasn't. He gets elected anyway. Think about that. It, it's astonishing. I can give you example after example after example. Harry Reid accused Mitt Romney of not paying his taxes. It turned out he did. Mitt Romney lost the election. Some reporter asked Harry Reid, you know, you accused um, Mitt Romney of not paying taxes. It turns out he did. And Harry Reid laughed his tail off. He goes, yeah, who won and who lost? So, in other words, and I'm no Mitt Romney fan, but Mitt Romney lost the election because Harry Reid lied and people believed his lies. This is what passes for leadership in America today. Now, why do I talk about these children being a distraction? Because I think back to World War II. See, you've got to look at history because people have done all these things before. People have done all these things before. Nothing new under the sun. To be slightly off color. I remember when I was about 16 years old, my parents had a, a good friend. Uh, it was a couple, Sally and Irving. And they were my mom's closest friends, and my dad really got along well with Irving. And Irving tra- treated me kind of like, uh, he was like a Dutch uncle to me. And every, every discussion was, was okay. And my parents were okay with that. They trusted his judgment that I was 16. 
And one day he said to me, because we were talking about human creativity, and he had kind of an off-color way of making the point. He said, I don't care how creative a husband and wife might be uh, when they get together at night or in the afternoon or whatever. Nobody can find a new way to do it that hasn't been done already. I'm cleaning it up for you. And that's true. Basically, everything we do is a repetition of what's happened in the past, which is why when you erase history, you're erasing the lessons that you really need to learn. Think about that. If you erase history, you're erasing lessons. You learn from history or you repeat it. It's very simple. You learn from history or you repeat it. And so you you look at the way that that, that we function, and, and we've seen all this garbage before. And so if you look at the Second World War, the Allied forces wanted to invade and get at the Nazis in France. So they knew they were going to go in through Normandy. And the Nazis thought they were going to come in through Normandy. But in order to confuse the Nazis and get them to divide their resources, the Allies came up with a brilliant scheme. It was called Operation Fortitude, also known as the Calais Deception. If you look at my article for Front Page Magazine, you'll see the link. It's fascinating. And what the Allies did was they took the body of a dead soldier, dressed him up in a suit, handcuffed a briefcase to his wrist so he looked like a courier, and put in the briefcase fake documents that made it appear as though these were top-secret documents and it was a plan to invade through Calais, not Normandy. And then they took this poor dead soldier and fired his body through a torpedo tube in a submarine that was just off the coast because they knew which way the tides were, that the body would wash up on the beach, the Germans would find it, they'd think they had a treasure trove of intelligence. And it worked. And they added to that by taking General George Patton, who who had fallen from favor because he was a brash, unconventional character, and they put him in charge of a phantom army, basically. He had inflatable jeeps and inflatable tanks, and they went out on the beach and they made it look as though they were massing an invasion force to go into Calais. So when their airplanes flew over during the day, they saw what they thought from the air were actual tanks and jeeps and vehicles. These were inflatables. These were balloons. They could have been used as floats in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Think about that. So you add that with Patton there to the soldier with the documents, and the Germans had to divide their resources. So they had to take half of the soldiers that they would have used to defend Normandy, and they broke them off to defend through Calais. And guess what? Because they divided their resources to defend themselves, our people succeeded at great cost. So many American and Allied soldiers were killed. So many came home terribly crippled, wounded, and life-altering injuries. But the gallantry of those soldiers coupled with the brilliance of the generals, made them unstoppable. But it all centered around this notion of somehow convincing the Germans to take half of their forces and move them to another place to get them out of the way. And if you look at those unaccompanied miners, what is that doing to the Border Patrol? The Border Patrol is busy changing diapers, feeding infants, trying to find parents that belong to these illegal alien children. Does this not sound very much 
like Operation Fortitude? So when I look at this, and I wrote about this previously, by the way, which is why we need the border wall. And by the way, the border wall by itself doesn't stop the problem of illegal immigration. It's only an element. It's like I saw in my article today, one of the comments over at American Conservative, why doesn't Mr. Cutler talk about E-Verify? And someone had some nasty remark about why I didn't do it. Maybe I'm too stupid. I don't know. So, so here's the point. Everyone is looking for a magic bullet. What do we need? We need a magic bullet. We need a border wall. We need E-Verify. Understand something. This is kind of like Newton's third law of motion. For every action is an equal and opposite reaction. This is spy versus spy. Move, counter move. If you made it impossible for an alien who was here illegally to get a job, and that's a big if, because first of all, you could have people committing identity theft. You could have people committing fraud. Okay? But if you made it impossible, then they know that they can't come here illegally and expect to work, so they'll commit fraud. They'll commit identity theft. They'll marry women either for money or, or hoodwink them. Or women will do the same thing if they want to work in the United States and they're here illegally. So what they will do is figure out a way to game the system. And if you read the 9-11 Commission report, they talked about it, claiming political asylum, claiming to be married to, a, to a, an American, um, getting a visa to do a job that they're not qualified to do. They lie on the applications. How can you tell if someone's lying on an application? It's easy. No problem. You do an investigation. Here's the problem. How do you do an investigation when you're dealing with millions of aliens? And the answer is you can't. This is Lucy at the Bonbon factory on steroids. You know, the wise ass is, oh, why didn't he say he verified? You know, well, it's, it's important, but with he verify, you need to hire thousands of agents to do the investigation, not to investigate every case, but to investigate enough cases that people who are here illegally, understand that there's a good chance they're going to get caught. And you prosecute the women who marry somebody for money. Now, why would you do that? Well, first of all, they're committing a felony. They're entering into a criminal conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government. But if you start prosecuting people and you publicize it, people are going to look at that and say, you know, it's just not worth taking a chance. The Internal Revenue Service come April 15th every year when they get close to April 15th, maybe around April Fool's Day, they start to round up people who commit a tax fraud. And some of these people are pillars of the community. It, it, it might be a priest or a rabbi or, or a school teacher or, or a surgeon or a guy with a small business. Why? Because they're sending a message. They're saying, if you mess with the IRS, you're going to pay for it. We're going to get you. We're going to find you. We're going to get you. The IRS doesn't run around saying, well, there's too many people here. We can't do anything about fraud. But isn't that what the liars, I mean, the politicians are saying? I have a problem with terminology sometimes. Well, we can't deport them all, so the best thing we can do is give them green cards. No, the best thing we can do is give them green cards if we want to put immigration lawyers to work because the immigration system delivers an unlimited supply of cheap exploitable labor, an unlimited supply of foreign students, and an unlimited supply of foreign tourists. And for the immigration lawyers, you can find those critters on both sides of the aisle, an unlimited supply of clientele for immigration law firms. The IRS doesn't say, 
there are so many people filing taxes, we can't figure out who's lying. They tell you, you lie, we'll figure it out, and we're coming for you. You drive a car, you drive it, play around with your phone, we're going to get you. You don't wear your seatbelt, click it or kick it. It's always been an enforcement deal. We set up sobriety checkpoints to look for drunk drivers, right? Have you ever heard someone say, there's too many people that like to drink and they have driver's licenses, so we can't find them, so we're not going to bother? No. The IRS certainly doesn't do that. Nobody does that except immigration. Well, we can't arrest them all. Let's give them green cards. So what's the solution? The solution is let's have anarchy. So that way the lawyers get to make lots of money. That's what this is about. And meanwhile, you're flooding the country with foreign workers. So the Chamber of Commerce is happy, and the companies that hire these exploited people are thrilled. It's a failure by design. And we're paying a price. And we're paying a price. But again, my primary evidence here is that Biden and company will not admit that what's happening on the border is a crisis because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And they love what they're seeing. They're ecstatic. Biden would do cartwheels, but he'd probably fall down again, you know. But, but understand that what you see is what they want. The flood America, that's why he wants to have a massive legalization program for 25 million illegal aliens who could then bring in all their children. Do the math. If each alien on average has four kids, they could have five kids. They could have eight kids. And by the way, if they don't check DNA, how do you even know if they are their children? But you're looking at an influx of 100 million. 100 million. I want you to stop and think what the impact of that would be. And it's not just from Latin America. We have people coming in from, in fact, if you read my article, which is why I thought it was funny, he's only talking about Latin America. No, I was talking about Iranians and others coming here from other countries who are criminals and terrorists. You see? It's not about Mexicans. It's not about Latinos. If our immigration laws made that kind of a distinction, I'm going to tell you, I couldn't have enforced the immigration laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. My family and the family of so many people that I know were killed because of the Holocaust, which was about rampant racism and anti-Semitism. That's not what the laws are about. When you hear this garbage, well, they had these Chinese exclusion laws. Yeah, they ended 100 years ago. Psychiatrists no longer do prefrontal lobotomies, but let's hold the current bunch of psychiatrists and psychologists guilty for prefrontal lobotomies. Does that make any sense? Really and truly? We've become so gullible as a people. We have truly become gullible. I ask you to read my articles and please share them with people. What I really want to do is create what I call a bucket brigade of truth. The easiest way to do it, I hope you like the articles. By the way, I'm going to be on Newsmax at uh, 10, 10 a.m. East Coast time on Monday to discuss my American conservative article on air. But if you like the articles, go to my website, michaelcutler.net, or go to frontpagemag.com or the American conservative. Get a hold of those links and send them to your friends. Post them on social media. Send them to your elected representative and say to your elected representative, how in the world do you think this is good for America or Americans? <clears throat> Don't tell me if it's what the immigrants want. 
as parents, we make certain that the decisions that we make, first and foremost, are in the best interests of our children. Governments should be making decisions, similarly, that are in the best interests of the people who live within their jurisdictions. That's what representative government is about. Represent we the people. Abe Lincoln talked about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Folks, today, the people that they would be talking about would be the people with the deepest pockets who can write the biggest campaign contribution, which, after all, is only a bribe. Orwellian Newspeak is alive and well. I thank you for listening to my program today, folks. I, I, I really hope it's helpful to you. Stay well. Stay safe. I hope you enjoy this weekend. Spring is here, at least in, on the East Coast. I hope it is where you are. But please remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. Share the information. Engage in the conversations. Uh, and let's make certain that we keep the First Amendment alive and well. See you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody.
Oh, really? 